in there. So last time I was up here, I, I started a series, probably no one remembers because it was quite a while ago, but I started a series on the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer is one of those passages of Scripture that's just, it's universal. All of us have heard it. Uh, most of us could probably recite it. You know, I mean, even, even atheists have heard of the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's just so prominent. It's something that, that's out there. It doesn't matter what background you come from, what denomination. It, it's just, it's one of those passages of Scripture. And because of that, it's also a passage of Scripture that we've kind of lost the importance of. That it's just become a habit that we just say it, that we just spout it off without even thinking about what it means. And the truth is that it's an amazing piece of scripture because contained within those few short lines is, I don't even know how to describe it, but it has everything you need as a Christian to follow Christ. It talks about relationships with God, relationships with other people. It talks about forgiveness, God's plan for your life. All of this is contained Everything you need for the Christian walk to be a disciple of Christ is right there in these few short lines. And we started with just that first phrase, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that name. And we just spend time talking about how the, our faith, our entire belief system as Christians is based on the idea that we have this father-child relationship with the God of the universe with the one who created it all, with this all-powerful, all-knowing, this, this being who, who loves us as his own children, who has adopted us, who sent his son to die for us because he loved us so much. And he has this purpose and this plan for our lives that if we'll just embrace him and give him just the love and the, the awe and the respect that he deserves, man, that's the foundation of everything that we believe. That's where it all starts. And then... I decided to take a little break, about six months, decided to let Charlie talk for a while, do a couple sermon series. And so now we're back, part two. <laughs> you know, and then I'll probably take another six months off, you know. But, uh, and we're going to look at that, that second phrase. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I'm curious, how many of you throughout your life, whether it was a young kid, maybe in high school, maybe in some sort of community production, have ever been in any sort of theatrical production. Anyone? Anyone out there ever been? Oh yeah, lots of you out there. I've had a chance to be in quite a few in my day, you know, growing up in church, as in all the church plays and then school and stuff. It was something I enjoyed doing. One of my most memorable though is my my sophomore year of high school, we did Camelot. Now, if you know Camelot's story, King Arthur, Lancelot, Guinevere, uh, the Knights of the Round Table. And, and I got to be honest, in my teenage male mind, what really attracted me to Camelot was two things. One was the fact that there was a very good chance that I was going to get to carry a sword and a pretty darn good chance that I'd get to use it. You know, they were going all out. They were going to get coats of armor, and we are going to have swords. And I was like, this is cool. And at one point, I actually, you know, I actually asked the director. I'm like, hey, you know, this is, this is kind of stupid. It's Podunk Town, you know, like no budget. But I guess because it was a farming community, I'm like, hey, are you going to bring in like live horses for this? Because that would be really cool. He just looked at me like, what? <laughs> you know, but I was like, that's really good. And then I also knew that there was, there was some romance going on in here. And there were always really cute girls in the theater department. So I thought, hey, this is perfect. So I went in, and, 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 and I got to be honest, in high school, kind of tattle on myself here, I had no problem with self-image or self-confidence. In fact, my grandma likes to say that I was full of myself. 
So honestly, I, I mean, I went in and, and it wasn't right. It was wrong. It was sin. I went in thinking, you know what? I got this in the bag. I would make a darn good King Arthur, which was, of course, the star role, if you know the movie. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm like, I got this. You know, I'm in church. I can, I can sing and I'm a good actor. Dude, I, I, I've got it. So I went in and did my tryouts. I was all confident and sang the song. Something cheesy. I always make you sing something like My Country Tis of the Year, you know. And, and so I sang and I did it all. And I, man, I thought it was great. So a couple of days later, they throw, the, they throw the list up there of everyone who's got the parts and everything. And, and I start going down and, and, and I see Lancelot, Justin. I'm like, what? Not King Arthur. And then I thought to myself, you know what? This might not be so bad. Lancelot, he's actually way tougher than King Arthur. You know, he's kind of the stud in all this, really, when you think about it. And plus, he gets to make out with Guinevere a lot more than King Arthur does. <laughs> and I'd already seen who Guinevere was, and that was a good thing. <laughs> uh, you know, and I thought that'll be all right. But then I looked into the side, I realized, oh, it was another Justin. He was an upperclassman, had a lot of experience. I was like, oh, that's okay. I get that. I understand. You know, I was, I'm, I'm more of a King Arthur guy anyway. It's okay. It's okay. So I'm going down through and I get to King Arthur and I look, King Arthur, and I just expect to see my name and I scan across and it was not my name. And I, and I sat there and I'm like, surely it's, it's an upperclassman, someone with experience. Surely I got beat out by someone who was worthy. And, uh, and, and I look and don't get me wrong. I love the guy to death and we played basketball together and he went to an Ivy league school and he was just a genius. But I looked at that name and I thought, there's no way that kid is a terrible actor and he can't sing. I'm like, there's no way. And I was crushed. I was like, There's, it's got to be a typo. Surely I'm one of the parts above or below. And I start looking through all the knights. I'm thinking, I at least got to get some armor. I at least got to get a sword or something. So Sir So-and-so, not me, Sir so I go through the whole list, not me, not me, not me. And then I get down to the one part, like the one guy part that doesn't get to have a sword, that doesn't get to wear armor, that doesn't get to kiss a girl, Merlin the Magician. <laughs> Yep. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And, and I'm like, no way. I'm not doing this. There's no way. But I did it. <laughs> I went into the teacher and I'm like, now, is this for real? This isn't a mistake or anything. And I'm like, I'm not sure. I think, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do this. And he's like, no, no, you got to understand. He goes, Merlin's, he's the guy behind it all. He's the guy who really kept Arthur going. He's the guy who planted all this. I think he was just appealing to my ego, but it worked. <laughs> so I put on this big purple itchy robe. I wore this giant pointed hat and I had this beard that seriously hung down to here and made me break out like crazy. And I played the role of Merlin. And to be honest, I ended up having a great time. It was a blast. But I, I tell that story for a couple of reasons. First is because a lot of times when we think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, we think about it in terms of, of a kingdom like Camelot. That it's this mythical storybook place full of great ideals, full of moral cliches, and, and it's kind of dreamed up to teach us a lesson. It's kind of a, a fairy tale. You know, and at the end, the moral of the story is. And that's kind of what we think about when we think about the kingdom of God. It's something that, that in our minds, it, it just doesn't play out. But the truth is, you've got to understand 
that when we talk about God's kingdom, it's real. It has existed physically on this earth in the past. It exists now in the hearts and souls of believers. And it will again exist physically one day on this earth when God comes back. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, that phrase mentioned over 102 times in the New Testament alone. Jesus spoke about it over and over and over again. Man, it was something that was important. Let me, let me just set it up. We're going to talk about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If, if we're seriously going to sit here and we're going to say, yeah, I want to pray that, that God's kingdom would come, we got to know what it is. So let me give you just kind of a brief history so you can understand and see. The, the first glimpse that we as humans get in to the kingdom of God, it's in Genesis. In the beginning, God created. And we see this picture of the Garden of Eden. Man, this amazing place that was like, not like, it was literally heaven on earth. You see, in the Garden of Eden, everything was the way God intended for it to be. When you look around and you watch the news and you see the world as it is today, trust me, it is not the way God intended for it to be. But in the Garden of Eden, everything was the way it was supposed to be. It was the way God wanted it to be. It was the way he had designed it to be. I mean, there was no disease. There was no death. There was no hunger. You could eat as much as you wanted and never gain a pound. Man, which, as people tell me as I get older, is going to become a problem. No, none of that. There, there, was, there was no anger. No broken relationships. No bitterness, no hate, no war. There's no clothes. Everyone running around naked. I say that, it's kind of funny, but the truth is, there was no shame. You see, because there was no sin, there was no guilt, there was no shame. They, they, they weren't worried about what anyone else thought. Man, there were no tears. Kind of sums it all up. There's no reason for them. It was the way God intended for it to be. That was God's kingdom. That was what God wanted. And we know the story. Sin screws it up. Adam and Eve disobey God, and now all of a sudden there's this giant chasm between man and God, and sin has separated us. Paradise is lost. And we as human beings are tossed out of the kingdom, out of paradise. Time passes, generations come and go, and then a man named Abraham comes on the scene. God says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to build a nation. And through this nation, I am going to show the world what my kingdom should look like. He says, I'm going to give them a picture, a representation of how I intended for things to be. Later on, as the nation of Israel developed, God would give Moses what we call the Mosaic Code, the commandments. And listen, it just wasn't the Ten Commandments. There were thousands of commandments that governed every aspect of their lives. I mean, it governed what you could eat. It governed what you could wear. It governed how long your beard could be. You know, everything, every aspect of their life, because God wanted them to understand that in his kingdom, it revolved around him. And he wanted every aspect of their lives to be pointed towards God. And he wanted to be this, them to be this representation, this example of what that kingdom looked like. 
Because we know that the nation of Israel didn't do such a great job. They were disobedient. They were stubborn. They ran from God over and over and over again. But even in their failure, they set the stage for what was to come. They set the stage for a man named Jesus, the Son of God who would come and live a perfect life and be crucified, who would conquer sin and death and bridge the gap between God and man once again, and who would fill the hearts and souls of believers. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to grasp that Jesus is inside of us, that he indwells us. It's so much easier when we're little. Jesus lives in our heart. He's there. Hey, Jesus, how's it going? It's that simple. That, that's, as kids, it makes sense. And then adults, we get up and we want to process it and we want to figure it all out. But the truth is that he said, Jesus said, this time I'm coming and, and I'm not going to set up a physical kingdom, guys. He tried to tell his disciples that over and over and over again, but they were so stubborn, they just couldn't get it through their heads. They thought he was going to set up a physical kingdom. He said, no, 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 here's what I'm going to do. The first time, I'm going to set up a spiritual kingdom. And that kingdom is going to be based on my presence in your life. The kingdom is going to be inside each and every one of you. You see, when we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth where we are as it is right now in heaven. We need to be careful what we pray for. Because when, when you pray, God, thy kingdom come, you're saying, God, use me. God, help me to live out the kingdom, your presence that you have placed inside of me. You see, here's the deal. God has put his kingdom in the hearts and souls of believers so that we can go out and we can share it with the rest of the world. I love this definition of God's kingdom. It just blows my mind just to think this. The kingdom of God is the convergence of time and space where the line between humanity and divinity is blurred and heaven in all its glory is manifested in the midst of a broken and dying world. In other words, we come to the place as Christians where our lives so reflect Christ, that they so reflect his kingdom the way he intended for it to be, that they so reflect that love and that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness, that they so reflect that, that the world stops seeing us, that they stop seeing humanity and they get a glimpse of what it's like in heaven. They get a glimpse of what God intended for it to be. They get a true glimpse of the ability to experience who God is through us. Guys, just think about that for a second. Galatians 2.20, Paul puts it this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He says, I've come to the point, it's not about me anymore. It's about people seeing Christ living in me. You know, the second reason I told you that story is because just as I almost quit because I didn't like the part I got, I didn't like the role I've been called to play. Sometimes we as Christians, 
we don't want to embrace the role God has called us to play. We don't want to accept our part in his kingdom. We make all sorts of excuses. Everything from busyness to being unqualified. I mean, uh, we, we do to try to get out of it. But the truth is that, man, God has an important role for each and every one of you. Every single one of you. God has called you. He has chosen you. We sang that song, chosen generation. God just didn't create us and throw it all out there and say, here, here you go, have fun with it. No. Before he ever created the world, before the first star was put into place, he had a plan for your life. You have a role in the kingdom. You know, so often we get into this mode that it's like only certain qualified people. It's a pastor's only kingdom. You know, only pastors are allowed, or only those who are educated, or only those who've been Christians so long. No. In fact, did you know that as pastors, one of, one of our responsibilities is to train you, to equip you, to live it out, to equip you to spread God's kingdom? Not my words, Paul's, the Bible's, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And to some he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Our job as pastors is to train you so that you can live it out, so you can show a broken and dying world the love of Christ, so that you can show them by the way you live your life by the way you treat your family, by the way you act at work, by, by your dedication to God, so that you can show them what things are supposed to be like. Man. Now, I wish we had more time to really get into this because this is really the million-dollar question. What is your role? I mean, that's really what everyone wants to know. They want to know, what am I supposed to do? What is it that God has called me to do? Because you each have this, this plan. You've each been chosen and called, and, and you've got to understand that. And let me tell you, we, we only have enough time today to just scratch the surface. We barely have enough time to do that, but I want to encourage you, if you're not involved in a life group, get involved in one. In fact, right now, you, you get a bulletin. If you don't have one, maybe your neighbor next to you will give you, there's a connect card in there. Get that connect card, put your, your information on it, and then circle. It's either L for life group or G for group. I don't know. But just circle that, turn it in in the boxes so we can get you plugged in in a life group. Because each week, the life groups, they, they take the sermons and they go deeper. They, they learn to apply it to their lives. Life group leaders, write down Matthew's, Matthew chapters five through seven. Great stuff to dig into this week for your life group, to, to dig into about what the kingdom is supposed to look like and to go deeper. But man, if you're not in a life group, sign up because it gives you a chance to go deeper, to apply it to your life. But today we're gonna look at a passage that, to be honest, I've almost worn out in youth group. In fact, they told me after first service, some of the teens were like, yeah, we knew exactly where you were going when you said that. And we were kind of like, oh, here we go. But I want them to get it because this is another one of those passages that carries the core of what this is all about. And it's so simple that everyone can understand it. It's a passage of scripture we get because there's, Jesus is sitting there teaching and the scribes and the Pharisees, they're coming, they're trying to stump him. They're trying to give him these, these crazy questions that hoping that when he answers, he'll, he'll kind of trip himself up. It starts in Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. 
And seeing that he, speaking of Jesus, answered them well, ask him, which commandment is the most important of all? Remember, thousands of commandments, thousands. Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. I I can only imagine that in Jesus' mind at this point, he's sitting there thinking, thank you, Captain Obvious. I am Jesus. (laughs) Thank God I was going to give you a wrong answer. You have truly said, still the scribe talking, you've truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and all the understanding, all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That phrase hit me, you're not far. He says, yeah, you get it, good answer. You know what it means. You understand that. You've got it up here. But are you living it out? Evidently, this scribe was like all the other scribes and that he was very well educated. That he knew all the right answers. But it it never went from his head to his heart. From his heart to his actions. And I worry so often that we as Christians do the very same thing. We come here and we listen and we learn and we know the right answers. You guys have heard this passage before. But do we live it out? Do we live it out for the world to see? You know, know, in youth group, we've summed up this passage four words. Love God, love others. Simple, plain, I mean, all the youth kids, they'll know it. I guarantee you, any kid graduating from our youth ministry, you ask them what they learned, that's going to be one of the things. Love God, love others, because that's the core of what it's about. That's the core of how our lives reflect the kingdom of God, how we live it out. But let's just take it a step further. Let's get even more practical. How do we love God and love others? I mean, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said that, but it's still relevant today. But what does it mean for us right now? Pueblo, Colorado, 2010. Listen, you've got to understand that when you love God and love others, the best way to to show love is to give, to give sacrificially. And Jesus gives us a list of what we're required to give. He says, you got to give your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You see, when he said, give your heart, I think if we were to take that, if he were to talk to us today, he might tell us, give me your dreams. Just take and completely surrender to me. Surrender the rights to who you are. Man, we got to come to the point where we're like, you know what? I'm tired of being me. I'm tired of of trying to please everyone else. I'm I'm tired. God, I want to be what you want me to be. God, I want to embrace your plan for my life. My grandma often reminds me that man has dreams. God has plans. 
And sometimes we come up with some, with some dreams and, and ideals that we think, man, this is what's going to make me happy and this is what's going to happen. But God says, no, 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 I've got plans for your life. I've chosen you. I've called you. <laughs> you know what? It, it starts with just accepting him, asking him to come into our lives and forgive us, to save us from our sin. And then, and then we follow in believer's baptism. We let the whole world know, I've accepted Christ in my life. I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm a Christ follower. And I'm going to do everything I can to live for him. And then you become a member of the local church and you begin to grow and mature. And you start deepening in your walk with Christ. You get involved. The problem is, is once again, so often we, we get in this trap of, what are people going to say? What are people going to think if I... If I change the way I, I talk and the language I use, I'm not going to fit anymore. You just don't understand, Justin. That's how everyone talks in my line of work. That's, that's just how it is. Not in God's kingdom. What are they going to say when I, I have to stop spending so much time with buddies and, and old friends because I need to spend more time with my family? Because I need to spend more time with Christ. I need to spend more time with the church. You know, it's funny. Teenagers get a bad rap and they get preached at all the time about peer pressure. You know, we tell them, oh, you can't listen to what everyone says about you. You, you don't need to be who they tell you to be. And, and you just need to, to, to be yourself and to follow what God has for you. And the truth is, peer pressure never goes away. We as adults just get better at making excuses for it. Man, we got to stop worrying about what the rest of the world thinks and start worrying about what God thinks. Because when you try to please the world, you make everyone happy but yourself. When you please the world, you're never going to be satisfied. You have to learn to completely surrender everything that you are, all your dreams, to God. You've got to give Him your soul. Where to have there is purity. Because if you're going to give God your soul, you're going to live a life of purity. You're going to commit to that. You see, our soul, the seat of our emotions, where passion comes from. Man, we have to give that passion to Christ and Christ alone. Let me tell you, there's some things that automatically come to mind when we think about purity. We think about addictions, drugs, alcohol, pornography, terrible things. Don't get me wrong. We think about uh, what we take in as far as movies and music and TV and what we should be watching and listening to, what we shouldn't be. What we think about, you know, we think about adultery and be, being faithful to a spouse. And, and the truth is that those are all things, but those are all outward actions that reflect the condition of our soul. And Jesus tells us, if you, if you look at your soul and if you change the condition of your soul, you'll change your actions. You see, Jesus in that Matthew 5 through 7 passage, several times, he starts and he says, you have been told. In other words, he says, the law says, the world says, all of those thousands of commandments, they tell you this, but I tell you. He says, the world tells you it's this way, but in my kingdom, this is how it is. He says, the law says, thou shalt not commit murder. But in my kingdom, man, if you become angry and curse a brother and you harbor bitterness in your heart towards them, you've committed murder. 
It's about the condition of your soul, not only your actions. He says, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look after them lustfully in your heart, you've committed adultery and are guilty. We want to live out the kingdom of God. We've got to check the condition of our soul. And we've got to strive for a life of purity. You've got to give your mind. You've got to trust God. Anyone out there ever been told, you think too much? <laughs> I get that every once in a while. We try to complicate things. Again, it's that idea, why can't we just return to that childlike faith? That just trust that doesn't need all the answers. There's just something that happens somewhere along the way. And all of a sudden, everything's got to be factual. Everything's got to make sense. Everything's got to be logical. Let me just tell you right now, God doesn't make sense. We're humans. We're never going to fully understand him until one day when we're with him in heaven. I read this verse. It was my life journaling verse this week. Job 26, 14. <laughs> these are just the beginning of all that he does. Job has listed all these natural wonders, these amazing things in nature that happen. He says, these are just the beginning of all that God does. Merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? He says, we can barely understand God's whisper. How do we ever expect to understand the sheer magnitude of his power and might? Stop trying to understand God and just trust him. Just say, God, I don't fully get it. It doesn't really make sense, but man, you're there. And I want to live out your kingdom in my life. And probably the most practical of all of these, probably the one that, that applies to all of us sitting in here, but is the hardest. And let me tell you, I completely understand that we live in a society that is just busy, that is constantly going, that there's tons of stuff happening. But I think if Jesus were talking to us today, he'd say, give me your strength. Give me your time. Give me that precious commodity that is your time. Listen, understand we talk, this is all about a relationship. Our faith, our Christianity is about a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And we all know that the foundation of any relationship is spending time together. Spending time together, first just communicating, talking and listening, hearing what God has for our lives, hearing what he wants us to do, reading in his word and, and then praying to him, seeking after after him with everything that we are. Man, I think so often we do a 15-minute devotional once a day, and then we come to church for an hour on the weekends, and we call it good. Let me tell you, 15 minutes a day and an hour on the weekends is not love. It's not. Man, get a life journal. Begin meditating on God's word. We use life journals here at Fellowship of the Rockies. We've got them in the Welcome Center. There's an info desk in there. You can pick them up there. They've got all the directions. And man, it's awesome. It's a great way just to read God's word with purpose and, and to hear what he has for you. Not only do you need to spend time alone with God, but you know what? Spend time. Spend time with your spouse. Spend time with your kids. Get involved in a life group. Spend time with them. Man, spend all the time you can with God. Man, spend time in corporate worship. 
man, you guys all get an A in that because you're all here today. You sang out. It was an awesome time. We observed communion together. You're listening. This is corporate worship, but man, make time for it. Make time for getting together with other believers. It's huge. Man, it's funny. I, I get a kick. People will come up to me at times and, and they'll start sharing with me how they just feel like they're spending so much time at church. And my first reaction is completely unbiblical and ungodly. I sit there and I'm like, do you understand who you're talking to? <laughs> Hello, I'm the pastor. I work here. You want to talk about spending some time at church? You know, that's my first time. And then I just, in my head, I just, man, they just don't get it. Get this, the early church that we read about in Acts, they met six days a week and took one off. You see, that they were always getting together. They loved to be with each other. And, and you know what? Church just wasn't a part of their life. The church was their life. It meant everything to them. And we've lost that. Man, not only can you come and worship, this isn't the only way you can come and be involved in the church. Man, we need ministry partners. Man, let, let me tell you, I, I got in on our computer system. I just ran a search for everyone here who, who's passed through, who's filled out cards and stuff, ages 12 through 17. Over 400 teenagers. Man, let me tell you, I got an amazing youth staff. There's no way we could handle 400 teenagers. We need more people. We need more people who are willing to come and to help mentor teenagers and to be there for them and, and to be a part of the ministry. You know, uh, over here we have an amazing children's ministry that meets every week. Man, I guarantee you, you talk to Becky, she'll tell you the same thing. And man, we need way more people to help, to, to help mature these little kids and to teach them about God and his love for them. You know, our life groups, we've got so many people signing up that man, our life groups are growing like crazy and we need more people to lead life groups. Man, fill out the card. Become a ministry partner wherever it is. We need you. And don't think that, man, I, I haven't been a Christian for very long. I'm not qualified to do that. Or I've got this. Listen, all we want in our, in our ministry partners, we want people who are fat. And no, I did not just pull a Charlie and say something that I did not mean to say. <laughs> All right, I picked that up from Tim Brotherton, who is the director, public director of FCA. And he says, we look for volunteers who are fat, F-A-T, faithful, available, and teachable. That's all we're looking for in our ministry partners. We want you to be faithful, available, and teachable. Man, we'll give you all the training that you need. It's our job. That's our calling. We'll train you and give you everything that you need. But it's not just about time with God. It's about spending time with your family as well. Understand, if you don't love your family, don't try to tell me that you love God. Don't even. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus told his disciples this last night, John 15, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. This is how they'll know if you have love for one another. Man, so many ways to spend time with your family. So many ways. It's so important. Whether you're a single parent, whether you've got the standard, typical American family, whether you've got a blended family, man, spend time. Do meals together. And I know it's tough and I know you're busy, but trust me, 
I grew up in a family with three boys who were all very involved in athletics, in academics, in theater. And uh, my dad was a pastor. My mom was a teacher. And you know what? We still sat down every night and had dinner together. I mean, I don't care if you all have to meet and sit down around the table for a Big Mac at McDonald's. Do it. Do meals together. Start with a goal. Man, we're going to do three meals together a week. And just set it and make it happen. Because you need that time with your family. And then parents, do devotionals with your kids. Spouses, do devotionals together. Spend time growing together in God's word. We talked about that. But it not only is you spending time with God, but it's you spending time with your family. Man, husbands and wives, do date nights. Spend time just with each other, loving on each other. Just take that time. And again, excuses. We always come up with excuses. Oh, we can't afford it. We need babysitters. Listen, find another couple who needs a babysitter too. Swap nights with them. Hey, you watch the kids Thursday and we'll watch them Friday night and, and then go off on a date night. It doesn't have to be crazy big things. Pack a lunch, go on a picnic. Just have fun with it. Spend that time together. You know, dads, take, take your daughters out on a date. Show them how they deserve to be treated, how a guy should treat them. Moms, go on a, go on a date with your, with your son. Let him open the door. Let him pay for them. It's a great time together. And not only that, but you're teaching them to live out the kingdom. Man, attend your kids' activities. And I know I always get the, but I got to work and it's so busy and I got to provide. Let me tell you something. Your kid would rather have you than a new pair of Nikes. All right? Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Listen, this list goes on and on and on. Uh, of all these things that, that we can do. And I challenge you within your life, just man, expand on the list. Share ideas that you have done. Hold each other accountable. That's why we have life groups. That's, that's part of what it's about. We're doing life together. But we've got to begin to live it out with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I return to that quote again. The kingdom of God is the convergence of time and space where the line between humanity and divinity is blurred and heaven in all its glory is manifested in the midst of a broken and dying world. Is that your life? Are you living out the kingdom with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You see, that's your role. Live it out. Accept it. You were chosen. You were called. It's your purpose. It's God's plan for your life. But you have to choose to take that knowledge from your head and let it fill your heart. And then go and act on it. Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. You see, the picture is, is of someone pushing their way through a crowd. 
It's of someone pushing their way, trying to get to the front of the crowd so that they can be heard. And sometimes living out the kingdom of God in our lives is the exact same thing. We have to push through a world. We have to push through a crowd that doesn't want us to act that way, that doesn't want us to live our lives that way. And we have to push through with everything that we are relying on God's strength to come to the front, to show them the kingdom, to show them the way God intended for it to be the way God desires for us to live our lives. The peace and joy, the grace and mercy and forgiveness that God has. And we need to live that out, to show that to a broken and dying world. That our lives are no longer us, but they're Christ showing through us. I'm going to ask that you all just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And in the stillness, I just want you to take a moment to listen. Listen to what God is saying to you today. What is it that that God is asking you to do as a result of what you've heard today? What is he calling you to? And maybe you need to accept him for the very first time to ask him to come into your heart and to forgive you of your sins, to be your Lord and Savior. And you need to begin that relationship with the Heavenly Father. Maybe you need today to surrender your dreams to him, that you've been hanging on to them with everything that you can, but you know it's not God's plan for your life. You just need to let go and say, God, I surrender. Here are the rights to everything that I am. Maybe you need to commit to a life of purity. Maybe there are things in your life that have to go. Addictions and habits that just cannot be there if you were to live out the kingdom of God. Maybe you just need to trust God in this moment. We're going through a difficult time and you don't understand it and you don't get it. You need to just trust that God's in control, that he is sovereign. Put your faith in him, that childlike faith.